There is a big reason why I don't make equipment and technique a big point of discussion on my show. I know it's important, but such discussions can lead down a, a rabbit hole where the choice of lens or lighting equipment carries more weight than it actually does or should. There are countless photographers who use virtually the same equipment, but produce significantly different results. Some would attribute differences to matters of talent, but I've come to believe that it's more about intention, imagination, playfulness, and the willingness to take risks. Hernan Rodriguez is a celebrity portrait photographer who has crafted his own personal approach to making photographs. He possesses a masterly understanding of light and color, but there's more to his photography than that. He gets that each encounter is as unique as his subject, and his approach reflects that. There is nothing cookie-cutter about Hernan's approach, which makes both his work and the man so special. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to the Candor Frame. How have you been making use of this uh, of this time? I think you know the first few few weeks were just the adjustment, you know, just trying to find. Well, they canceled everything. I had probably like seven workshops nationally, one international. So I went back to just doing a lot of what I used to do in art school, just reading a lot of like my Renaissance book, a lot of the painters, a lot of the things that took me back to what made me see what I see. And uh, I, I was beneficial. It was great. A lot of research, a lot of reading. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just that pause, not to be rushing because, you know, sometimes we stop educating ourselves as photographers. We're chasing the next job. We're doing the retouching. We're doing production. And then we're like, whoa, you know? Yeah. You can't just lounge around during times like these and, and just lament the fact of what the things you can't do. Absolutely. Once yeah. you go back, you're going to go, God, all that time I had and I just wasted it. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you did the same, <laughs> right? You take advantage of your time. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, and educating myself as, as, as much as possible. Right, you know, right. Reading nonfiction, reading some fiction that I had longed intended to, to catch up on. and Right, right. And also just relaxing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Your work is good. Very clean. Oh, thank you. Thank Very you. Very clean work. I, it was just great. I spent some time yeah, surfing through there for, in, in my downtime. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. It's fun for me. It, you know, it's always been a part of my life. And luckily, I've always been able to shoot what I like to shoot. Right. You know, so it, that's... Yeah, it's great. But you were just mentioning, you know, going to art school and looking at your artwork and and one of the interesting things I learned from you is that you really started your creativity in terms of drawing, and your dad was an artist. I don't know if he was a professional or an enthusiast, but tell me about those early years for you. Yeah, so my dad grew up as a technical engineer, and then he worked as an illustrator for an aerospace company. You know, though he had the mathematics and just drawing a lot of linear art, he spent times uh, on his side job was just in Renaissance replicas, paintings. So I spent hours of just looking at, you know, the, the work behind it, just from a, a clean canvas to putting layers and layers of, of color and undertones of shadows, you know. So all these things that, that I think, you know, and it's funny because as a photographer, when I teach or when I have to write an article, it's so intuitive because it's the fabric of what I've seen my entire life that I have mm -hmm. to go back and recall, like, why did I do this? And I'll give you an example. For instance, if you're drawing and I saw my, one of the tricks my dad taught me was like, if you're, let's say you're painting a robe 
of some of these Renaissance paintings, you're painting a robe and you want these rich shadows, you would go with a sepia tone, which is like a brown undertone as, a, as your base color. And then okay. you start building blue on top and different shades of blue and you add a white for highlights. So when, when I light, I see myself going to that. You know, I, I use sepia uh, filters on my lights as an undertone. And then I started, I started, mm. you know, I started adding uh, opposite color. I rarely do I, 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 I light white light. So everything has some type of undertone. So I think just that influence on, on seeing that with my father and seeing colors come to life and, and seeing the, like the shape of the anatomy and seeing, because then I decided to, you know, I, I think when I was five years old, I knew this is what I wanted to do my entire life. And I just started honing in on what came naturally to me, if I could put it that way. That makes a lot of sense. In terms of how you learned color in that way, would you see your dad doing something and ask him, well, how do you do that? Or were you observing him and sort of experimenting on your own? You know, the, the first thing I saw, I mean, I, part of the education is, is studying. You know, part of the education is just looking, you know, and, and we as photographers have to really build that, that muscle, you know, uh, mm. just, just to sit back and observe, you know, look at light, how it behaves, how it transitions, how the values change. I think when I first started looking or learning about color, I, I just saw the magic happen, for instance. If I saw this blue, like just blue paint on a canvas, and all of a sudden I saw these creases and these shadows just building up, and then these highlights, you know, se- all this separation happening, I just saw it in front of my eyes. So I, I was... I was fascinated. And then I would ask my father, like, hey, how do you do this? And he, he, was, he was really patient. You know, he was really patient with me. And he, he taught me how to, how to build it up, how to, how to build it up and how to, you know, it's incremental. So you just don't put, you know, just white light for a highlight, white paint for a highlight. You just start putting, you know, a little bit of, of highlights and then start building more highlights and start separating even more. So if you think about photography, it's not any different. You know, if you want a highlight from somebody, you just you know, don't put, you know, there's not a formula to say, oh, you're just one stop brighter on, on, a, on an accent light or a highlight because you have to look at the parameters. And if you have a site that's really dark and shadow, then you don't go one stop brighter. You go, you know, half a stop less because it's going to show that much more. So it's not any different than painting. You got to, it's almost to taste, you know, just apply the layer and see what happens. And, and, and that's what I started seeing, you know, um, and there's different principles in, in, in color. You have pigment that mix together. You got additive color and subtractive color, you know. And, and in art, it's a mix of yellow, red, and blue. With these three colors, you create every single color in the spectrum. So when I started seeing him mixing, like, for instance, a yellow with, with a green, then you got a gray. You know, you started building up and creating a gray color and all these different things by adding blue. So I think the more I, I was understanding what was happening in front of me, the more questions I could ask, you know, and that's what happens to us sometimes as photographers, you know, our vision is so far beyond what we could implement or, or really uh, execute, you know, and, and that's part of the, that's part of the craft is looking at the vision, seeing what you want, and then, you know, finding the ways to do it and approach that. Yeah, because I really love the way that you use color mm-hmm. and how you play off the skin tones, the clothing people are wearing, the background. And the way you're describing it, it makes a lot more sense what I was looking at when I was looking at your work. Right, right. And I was having a conversation with some people this past weekend about how a lot of photographers work from the equipment forward. So uh, let me see if I can explain this, is that they'll think about how the equipment is designed to work. Right. 
and they'll use it in just that way. So whether it's a softbox or an octa, an octa or right. an umbrella, they've learned this is the way that you use it. And basically they work from there. And the way I'm hearing you is that you will use those same tools, but you're coming from a very different starting point. You're thinking about how you want the color to look and you are using those tools to get to that. And you're not just being limited by how a manufacturer has advertised a particular product. That's a great observation because I actually give that in my lectures. I'm, you know, I'm asked often, like, what's your to-go-to, you know, what's your go-to uh, modifier? And I can't say there's a specific thing that I, I, I just go to. A softbox, for instance, I, don't, I rarely use softboxes, but when I do use softboxes, and this is to the point you're making, straight out of the box, it's sent with a certain fabric modifier and the inner baffle is either white, which gives it a softer transition in the skin tones. If they were silver, it becomes more reflective, more specular, more, more, mm -hmm. you know, more of a pop. For me, I do like somewhere in the middle, you know, and I always look for those modifiers that allow me to create that. So even the actual diffusion material that's in front of that softbox, I don't like that just opaque white. So there's this uh, diffusion that one of my, my Westcott makes. It's, it's like onion skin. It's like super, super translucent. It's almost like if you're putting onion skin, you know, on top, in front of a paper light and it passes, it just cuts just that enough light that I'm looking for. Because if it were in any more opaque, it becomes like this peachy, soft portrait, which sometimes is good. It depends what it's for. But I, I like a mm -hmm. little more more pop in that. So I either create or I use a, an inner silver baffle and then I start modifying it with those approaches. Sometimes I might not even use a, a diffusion material. I'll get this material called opal made by Roscoe and it's just like this sheet of tracing paper and I start building layers of it. Let's say because, you know, in photography or in any art, the eye is drawn to the brightest part of an image. So if everything's kind of dark and low key and you, you're calculated on what they're wearing in the background and everything, yeah, I'm drawing the viewer by putting that light placement and the value and the contrast and the quality of that light to the face, which is what port portraiture is. We begin with the face and then we go forward. But then if it's too bright, it's, it takes away too much. It's distracting. If it's too soft and too... So I'm always looking for that medium in there. And, and I, that's how I do it. I, I put tracing paper. Sometimes I'll use a black tooling and I start creating halfway down the softbox, you know, cutting that layer because light still passes through. There's still some type of gradation. And I try to do everything in camera. And like you're saying, there's nothing straight out of the box and say, here's a softbox. This is what the manufacturer created it. This is what mm -hmm. I'm going to use it. Because then that's not any different than it's just really a glamorized, uh, candid shot. You know, if you don't know how to use those, those modifiers properly, correct? Yeah. Many people may be surprised when they look at your portfolio. They see a lot of celebrities, a lot of sports figures, and that you get your early start not as a photographer, but more of as a graphic designer. So you were hiring photographers <laughs> at, at, at one point. So considering you already had a sensitivity to color and light, even before you started picking a, a camera up on your own, when you were doing the hiring, what were the things that you were looking for in a photographer when you were on the side of the desk that says, okay, I want to hire this person for creating the work? You know what, I, I think two things were the what draw, you know, and I, I looked at tons of portfolio, you know, sometimes we created magazines for like Triathlete Magazine, Men's Fitness, Men's Journal. I think when, and I would see just these images over and over and over and over, 
for me, what attracted me to a photographer was like something that stopped me from flipping that page, if I could put mm-hmm. it that way. So if I'm looking through images and if it's, you know, something athletic, then, you know, everybody, if you look at athletic shots, I just did a photo shoot this past week with Reggie Miller for, you know, for, for a project. But if you're looking through all, and I was doing my research, I'm looking at people's work and, you know, I like to see like, hey, what's out there? Nothing really stops me. The ones that do stop me are the ones that are like, wow, you know, what's happening here? It's either contrast, it's, it's expression, it's value, it's an interesting angle, something creative, you know? So those are the first things. Then I go to see the technical attributes. What could this person really, you know, execute a photo shoot? You know, is everything in, in ex- exposed properly? What's the quality of the work? But I think if it doesn't get me to that point, I mean, and sometimes you might see something just like it's beautiful, you know, everything beautifully lit and everything's just so proper. But then it's just, there's, there's nothing there, you know, there's no emotion, there's nothing. So I think it was a mix of both of that. It had to have that kind of that fact, that wow factor, you know, and I judge competitions for like the WPPI and some of these big federations. And until it got me to that point of like, stop, pause, you know, even for, if it was for like two seconds, then, then that's my starting point. Okay, let me look at the values and let me look at the, the you know, but that, that to me was one of the things. So when I became a photographer, I think that kind of, I applied it to my own work. You know, I'm super critical in, in my own work, you know, and sometimes I kind of keep on going and keep on going with it. But yeah, I think that's kind of important for, for us as photographers. I heard that one of the things that helped to launch your photographic career was a burglary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was, I don't know where you found that, but that's, that's absolutely right. You know, it's so funny because, so I did, so back to the story. So we did some of the hiring. We, I hired some of the photographers and, you know, I think it bounced back from that because I, I picked up a camera and I told, you know, the, 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 create, the, the company, like, let, let's just do this. Let's just have a camera. Let's set it on automatic and let's see what we get. And we did it in a project. We, we did a catalog and we shot everything on automatic because we had the vision, we did storyboards and me working with the art director and back and forth, like we, we shot it. And that was, it was a fun experience. But during that point, and I was working, you know, as a graphic designer, I did stuff like for Corona, I did stuff for guest jeans, I did stuff for the Olympics. I had this body of work and I just had moved from one location to the other. So all I set up at this new location was my computer, my hard drive, my scanners and everything. And we had constructors, I mean, you know, construction people coming in and out following morning was all gone. <laughs> I was like, hmm. I mean, everything, like they wiped away my business overnight. And to me, it was like a pivotal point because I, I didn't have a backup. That was the honest truth. Everything I had done to that point with my hard drives, I had all my hard drives and my backups there at the, the location. And, you know, back then you had like a, a power, you know, a power Mac. It's not like this, these iMacs that I have now. You had like a tower and this was just whole tons of, information and i took for granted that that was going to be there i just paused i think i took a pause for two months thinking like do i really want to embark and you know like a whole journey of, of my work then i was kind of you know playing around with photography a little bit a friend of mine called me and said ernan you know what we need a, a shooter he didn't call a photographer we need a shooter <laughs> you know and i'm like i said i don't know i don't know much about photography he said all you have to do is stand by a tripod we set it on on the exposure and just click away these were uh we were shooting a prom could you believe it? for for a big uh studio over here in on the west coast it was alfred and fabrics i think they had like i don't know 5000 5000 students coming through their studio oh my god i mean it was volume it was just volume photography 
you know, I, I mean, I loved it because part of that was the interaction. You had a couple of minutes with each student. That person who hired me became my mentor. I didn't even know, but this guy was the president of the PPA at that time, which I don't know what, what's the PPA. He took me under his wings. I mean, he photographed, you know, DiMaggio. He photographed, you know, President Ford. He photographed, you know, he was well-known photographer. And I think in making that jump in those two years was invaluable to me because I think everything to this point, you know, of learning composition and color and learning, you know, what, what values are and paints and pigments and it, you know, just training my eyes since the age of five to this point in these two years under the tutelage of this guy kind of put it all together. And I see where my journey was now at this, you know, looking, looking back in, in, in hindsight was like, wow, this, all that was paving to become a, a, a great photographer because putting all that in and applying the, those, because we can learn, anybody can learn photography. Let me tell you something. It's a skill. All it is, is, is studying, you know, the technical attributes is, you know, exposure and, and, and F-stops and all these things. That they're, they're just numbers. What you don't learn is your, your experience in life, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, knowing what you are, you know, if you're into the arts and you're into to the, the, the music, if you're into, you know, motorcycle racing, all these things have trained you to this point, you know, to, as a photographer, because then you start kind of applying things that have, had a trajectory in your life that now you're looking through the scope of a camera, but intuitively you're, you're working from, from this place in, in your life. So, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, learn the skill, but, you know, sometimes go outside of photography, just don't be fixed in photography. You know, I look at travel, I look at everything. And, and then, uh, you know, when, when the, it's an intersection of, of opportunity and preparation, you get the right job and you're just, you have this vast experience and, and study of, of everything that you could apply to your work now. You're doing, you know, that senior portrait gig for about a couple of years, you said. Two years, yeah. And people think, well, they see the work that you're doing now and they would not see any sort of connection between those, those two photographers. But what did you learn that was invaluable to you from doing that work that you apply today when you photograph celebrities? You know, it's so funny because my... So this guy, my mentor, when I first got the job, I didn't even know what it was, right? So I, I photographed a dance. The following week, he said, hey, come in for an interview just because he liked me as a person. So another thing is, like, you also have to have that personality. You know, you just can't be a stiff person in front of a subject. He hired me for the job, and he said, you know, the one discipline in all of photography, to me, that constitutes being a really good photographer is a senior portraiture. I didn't know what that was. You know, I didn't even say anything. I said, wow, okay, senior portraiture. But I thought there were elders. I thought we were going to shoot. <laughs> I thought we were going to shoot older people. I mean, I was just like out on left field. And, you know, I asked the guy, like, what are, you, like, where are, the, where are these people? We're like, where are we going to shoot these, these, uh, these seniors? He's like, Hernan, these are schools. These are graduating. These are graduates. These are seniors in high school. It was so true, though, because, you know, you're, you're dealing with kids who don't want to be in front of a camera, right? For the most part, I mean, you got 80% of the kids do not want to be on a summer day and a hot day in a bungalow or in a studio taking their pictures. So that's one factor. Then you have, because you're doing volume photography. I mean, I remember one time shooting, uh, it was a hundred sessions, a hundred senior portrait sessions in a day, you know, seven hours, which was insane. Like how could you do seven, a yeah. hundred images? So it became volume. It became, you know, we had seven minutes with each subject. But it teaches you because you have to have that, that immediate interaction with the subject. 
Hey, you know, Hey, what do you like? You know, kids, these kids don't want to be there. You know, and some of these guys are tough, like, Oh, whatever, you know, where'd I sit? So you kind of break that ice, you know, you're like, don't worry about it. You know, whatever, what sports you play, you know, okay. You, you don't want to be here. Let's get you out in three minutes. They give me seven minutes. So there's something that makes them laugh, something that, that draws them in. And after that, you got to be able to evaluate them, make a calculation of their, their anatomy. What side am I going to photograph them from? And that's your starting point. So when you're doing this day in and day out, you know, for, you know, a hundred sessions in, in one day doing over this for two years, oh my gosh, when I went into the real world, you know, into the real world, when I went to photograph people who gave me, it could have been seven minutes. I photographed Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield in, it was like 6.38 in six minutes and 38 seconds because Mike did not want to be there. And to me, it took me back to that place of boot camp. Because as he's walking down the door, I'm meeting him for the first time. And he was so guarded. You know, he said, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing here? You know, and he was grilling me, you know. So I had to break that initial ice, get to meet him, walk him to the stage where he's going to be sitting with Evander and then make a contact. Make sure that, you know, he's going to give me something that is just not a person sitting in front of a camera with no expression. I, I mean, I, I, I apply it. Now I look back and I think I wouldn't be the photographer I am today had I not gone through that boot camp, you know, mm. in, in, in my career. Because now if somebody gives me an hour, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I could get it done in 20 minutes. And you know, <laughs> you know, 40 minutes is having a good time with the, with the subject. So, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah, because you have to learn not to be intimidated. Absolutely. You know, whether it's seven minutes or an hour, it's like you have to realize that you're, you got to maintain control because as soon as they sense that you don't. Oh, my gosh. There's nothing. You hit, the, you hit the, the nail on the head. You could never lose your position as a director in a set, even if you've lost it. You know, you have to go through the motions and, and, and be assertive and be in that position of a director because that's the respect. You know, people are in a set and people will hire you and you'd be in a position for taking somebody's portrait because they've done their work. They've looked at your website. You've made a contact with them. You've committed to give them, giving them a product, uh, whether it's, you know, a wall portrait or, you know, a, a magazine cover or just something special for their family. It's, it's a mutual commitment between, this, you know, your, your client and, and, your, and yourself. So... They, they're, they're entrusting everything on, on, in you. So once you start either, and I see this a lot of, you know, and I might have done this in my early career when you're playing around with the lights and, you know, and your subject's kind of waiting and, you know, you're looking on the back of your camera and checking to see, you know, what, what the calculations are and, and taking a few shots. And, or, or if you lose it, you know, if you lose that, that position of, of, of being in, in, as a director, then your subject, you've lost them. And, and it's very important, you know, and I think part of that is, is doing your homework. I mean, do your homework on the subject, do your homework as a photographer on your lighting, on your skills. You know, I always have like even four plans, you know, I got plan A, B, C, and D because most of the time you will be relying on not executing your first plan. You're going to go back to like the lights didn't work or the subject said he gave me half hour. Now he's got 10 minutes or he's not liking me, you know, there's, there's some type of friction between me and him. So you end up 80% of the time just sitting down without a camera interacting with your subject, like, okay, I'm sorry, like, you know, what can I do for you? And in the last 10 minutes, it's just picking up that camera. And sometimes it happens to me, especially doing celebrity work. 
I have these really intricate lighting setups and sometimes I might light for, you know, six hours pre-light a day before. And then I find out that the subject scratches everything or I end up doing the whole session with just sitting back with the individual. And then I, I tell my assistants like, scratch it, let's go to plan B, you know, just get a, mm-hmm. get a huge parabolic and it's happened, you know, and this is my plan B. So, you know, I get a seven foot parabolic big light source, you know, with silver, inner baffle because it gives me that specularity and that pop. I could control, just change the angle of the light. If I just want to use an edge and create more of a cinematic lighting, I put the light source as close as I can and I create it towards the subject. So it gives me five different looks with that one light and it takes me three minutes to build that set. So I've done that, you know, because why? I have to spend the time with the individual, which always is the most important thing in a portrait session. I don't care who it is. It could be a senior portrait. It could be a couple's 50th anniversary, or it could be a celebrity, you know, that interaction is the value of the portrait. If that person is not present there in that image, then it's not valuable to anybody. So that's, that's really critical. There is a term in podcasting which describes shows that have petered out and are no longer being produced. It's called pod fading. There are a lot of reasons why a show can cease production, but usually the biggest one is that people realize how much work is involved. And when you realize you're not going to get rich from this, it's mighty hard to justify all that time and effort. Though I can't speak for everyone, I know that I have persisted in doing this because I love these conversations. I love the fact that I can share them with you, people all over the world. Yes, it involves time and money, but I believe this show brings something special to my life and hopefully to yours. You can help us to keep doing this every week by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can contribute $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. These modest amounts add up and provide us the means to keep the show growing and thriving. So if you enjoy the work we're doing, please come on board as a Patreon supporter today. Thank you. I was looking at the images that you made of Nia Peoples. Oh, yeah, Nia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, those are some wonderful photographs because I just love the, the diversity of imagery that you got. Was that all from a single session? All those were multiple setups from a, from a single day? Was, and if so, tell me about that. That was all a... Uh, 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 one day, yeah, I think we had probably like about maybe six hours. It was at a beautiful house up here in the, the hills, you know, at uh, Wilshire. It was like this penthouse, huge, huge penthouse with three sto- three levels. And it had everything. I mean, it had these beautiful vaulted ceilings. It had a staircase going up. It had, you know, this panoramic view on the outside. So, you know, she had a, a contact to uh, allowed us to shoot there at her place. Then I also took a couple of seamless. Like, I always go to that classic plain background as well and i think that's an advice i give to any photographer you know it's it's beautiful to shoot on location but always secure that one shot that's gonna be just a clean editorial shot on a plain gray background a plain white background even a, a black background but secure those shots so you know that's pretty much what we did but it's funny because i think the magic that happened in that session and i think you know as us as photographers we have our vision you know, we sit back and we, we, we have our storyboards and we say, like, this is what I want to execute. And we close ourselves to 
the magic that happens outside of of ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge collaborator. I'm not selfish when it comes to photography because some of the most brilliant images I have is, you know, a makeup artist who ha- knows nothing about photographer and will say like, oh gosh, Hernan, wouldn't it be cool if we just wrap this thing around? And, and it happens. And I don't know if you saw that one image of Nia Peoples where she has a basket in her head with the, these petals flying. Yes. Mm-hmm. The backstory on this was funny because her close friend came in and, you know, he's like a spiritual advisor to her. And, but they're close friends and he's also a mutual friend of mine. He does a lot of stuff with the celebrities here in LA. They had kind of a riff, you know, and that morning he's like, oh my gosh, you like, we got to, we got to hone her in, right? Because she was happy. I think it was a great photo shoot, you know? And he's like, like, you know, she's becoming a diva. So let's, let's pull her back a little bit. <laughs> so for him, it was a trick. Like, hey, let's just get this basket and just put it on top of her head and get these petals. And he was kind of trying to play a prank on her, but I saw it as brilliant. I said, oh my gosh, like we had this crimson color background and she had these, you know, red lipstick and everything. I, I said, this is, this is the shot. He did it as a joke. I saw it as a hero shot. I said, my gosh, this would be amazing if we got these petals and we calculated it right while they're falling off her face. And it was, it was a mistaken collaboration because he started out of a, of a funny place and we ended up, I'm like, this is brilliant, you know? And I, and I told her, I said, yeah, this is, let's just do three shots. Get it and throw it in. And as it is, we're all making her laugh. So he's laughing at her. I'm laughing with her because we're just having fun. And then I took the shot and it was, it just happened, you know? I love that shot, especially because her laughter is so genuine. Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, you just, you, and, cause you'll have people who smile or laugh at the camera and it's the face. It's, you know, it's the expression that they know how to give. Right. And I right. looked at that and I go, that's a sincere moment. And I think it's oftentimes the most difficult expression to get whether the, so, someone is celebrity or not, just because a lot of people aren't completely comfortable with a camera or those people who are incredibly comfortable, um, they exert a certain degree of control. So that spontaneity that you as a photographer want can be kind of elusive. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're 100% on that because I think that, la- that laugh, if you look at that image and you look at it, you meet her, that's who she is. She's got this infectious smile and it's very genuine. So that laugh happened because she was just having a fun time. Now, one thing, one thing on that as we're, you know, when we're photographing and we're having subjects, um, a lot of it is dialogue. You know, understand that it, that shot would not have happened if we just say like, hey, throw, your, throw the head over your baskets and we're all quiet. There's like constant dialogue because if I start, you know, interacting with the subject and they start sharing something of their childhood or their experience that had coming over or something fun that happened along the way. Uh, there's subtext, you know, on, in, in their eyes, there's subtext, you know, you don't see it, you know, you're not going to see the viewer's not going to know the story behind it, but there's some attraction of that portrait that gives you that subtext. Like, Oh my gosh, like that, that smile looks so genuine. But if you, if you see the backstory, it was a funny moment. It was just a funny, happy moment. And I just kind of tell, okay, like smile big, say cheese, or just laugh on the count of three, laugh big, because there's no information. So there's not a story. So as we're dialoguing, and I'm, I always have this constant dialogue with my subject. And when I, and you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm always questioned on my, my approach to posing. Like, do you pose them? Do you sit them in a certain way? Natural expression is the person. 
the person is going to give you the dialogue, the nonverbal communication. You know, the way the mm. person sits, if they sit here and they're really stoic and, and tall, then that's who they are because that's what they're giving me. I have subjects like Eddie Griffin. Eddie Griffin will sit back in a chair, slouchy, and that's who he is. He's inviting. You meet him and he's open. You know, he's a very approachable and a just person. His personality is really, really huge. So I study this, all this mannerism because they're, they're dictating, they're guiding me along the process of what they're giving me. And all I do is refine the poses. So if somebody's like sitting way back and well, I'm not going to take a, a, a formal portrait looking up somebody's nose, you know? So I said, hey, just kind of lean forward with that, that attitude, but just kind of like lay back and just kind of, you know, so there's small refinements that yeah. start from a place of a natural place for that subject. Then I just do, you know, and, and I think it comes back from, from my study within, you know, like the, this, this, the confines of natural, I mean, classical portraiture. Because, you know, I, I, I think it's very valuable learning those, the, the, the structure of where to put the hands and not to show the front of the hand, you know, not to shoot a woman from too old of an angle. That's all fine and dandy, you know. It's good to know these rules, but loosely. You know, th it's good to know these rules just so you know, have some parameters where to, where to start, where to gauge. And, but, you know, they say not to photograph a woman from a low angle because it's just too masculine. It's too strong. It makes them look too stoic. Well, I photograph Helen Reddy who had like, you know, three, three Grammys and she was doing something for a United States postal stamp here, you know, and she's a strong woman. She has the national anthem song in the White House for I am woman, hear me roar. You know, that was mm -hmm. the natural women's lib song. So part of that is, well, how do I create strength for a woman on a plain gray background with just a black shirt? Well, I think part of that is my camera angle. If I make her look strong and stoic and have her just look not into my camera, but have her look past my camera, then I create a strong image in what would have been just a static place, you know, with just a static background. So I think that's, that's you know, for us as photographers, learn the regulations, learn the rules, learn composition, all that, but there are no rules in good photography, you know, if I could put it that way, you yeah. know. Yeah. And this is from somebody who's been judging photography for, <laughs> for their entire life, you know? What's interesting about the nature of, of your business is that this is commissioned work from the celebrity and, and their people. It's not so much that you're shooting for the purposes of a, a ma magazine article or something. They, the image, images may be used for that, right. but it may be used for publicity, for a book cover, a variety of different things, which is sort of a unique niche. How did you sort of find that pocket for yourself as a photographer. Good. You did your homework because you're absolutely right. Not many people know that, you know, I, I did, I did start out and uh, I don't even have an agent to this point, which is, it's pretty difficult, you know, to advance so much in, in celebrity work or commercial work without having an agent. It's, it's, it's a hard place to be because you have to do a lot of, you know, knocking on doors and doing, you know, just foot to the pavement I was pretty fortunate because I think when I embarked on this journey, I think that's exactly what I set as the target. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to pursue this type of work, celebrity work. I want to do, you know, editorial work. But it became a place, and I think it was a ripple effect. It's kind of the seeds I planted were pretty much a one-on-one -on -one relationship with, with an agent. You know, I would contact an agency. I would, you know, cold call, you know, let's say William Morris. I called call William Morris in Tennessee and I said, hey, listen, I would like to photograph some of your musicians. 
they said, hey, you know, and, and I think part of this is you have to be prepared. Your website, your body of work has to be ready for you to display and to show. Because first impressions in this industry is, is one time, you know, they're going right. to, you know what I mean? They're going to say, what's you like your work, for instance, I'll tell you when I, you know, and I'm critical. I saw your work. I said, wow, this is, you got beautiful work, man. I mean, you got to be proud of your work because it's on point. The lighting is just clean, crisp work, you know, and I get a feel for you, your personality. I get a feel for you as a photographer, both as your personality as a photographer, just by looking at your work for, you know, a couple of minutes. So, oh, thank you. You know, and that's just one time. That's first impression. You can't go back and say, oh, Hernan, well, would I try to do this? And, you know, just think within the lines of this. No, no, no. They're going to say, what's your website? Show me who you are. So I started making these calls. But, you know, backtracking, I knew that that was my target. But what do I have to do to get to that place? Well, I need a good body of work. I got to just show. If, if you have six good pieces, show your six good pieces instead of having 20 pieces of, you know, six good ones and, and 14 mediocre, I said, take it all out and just put your right. best mm-hmm. work forward, right? And then, and then, you know, they said, hey, we, we, we like your work. Let me connect, connect you with an agent who does up-and-coming actors in LA. And that's how I started. So I started working with one agency. Then I started working with this Latin agency here in, uh, in Burbank. Uh, this guy was in charge of like Julia Iglesias, Enrique Iglesias, Ricky Martin. But they were, they were calls, you know, they were just... You know, and I think when you started out, you, you, you have to pay your dues. You just kind of go to say, you know, I'm here to photograph a magazine. You know, you're sitting down at a red carpet. I don't do red carpet events now. I've done maybe in the past few years, maybe in the past 10 years, I've done maybe two red carpets, but as a favor, because somebody, it's a good relationship I have with an agent. And they said, Hernan, can you cover my celebrity? And then it's, it's a mass place. You know, you're shooting with paparazzi, you're shooting, but it's, it's customer relations, you know. They're now, it's a, it's re, it's a mutual respected uh, relationship that we both have. You know, they've, they've entrusted their celebrities to me. Now I, I help them out, you know, when they, they're in time of need, you know, like, hey, what do you need? You know, what can I do? And I don't charge them. I mean, why would I put a whatever mon- mon- money value on something that would, they would say, like, well, what do you mean? You're charging me, but, we, you know, we're giving you the bigger fish, you know? So, you know, you have to be very discerning. You have to be very wise in this industri- industry, but you have to pay your dues. Go to events, have your, your business card ready. And, and I did that. You know, I, I met, you know, some of these celebrities I met, you know, were, were like a business card. And I, I photographed somebody on a red carpet and they'll say, hey, where can I get my event photos? Because it's a social media industry. Everybody has to be relevant. Everybody needs to be active and know that they were at some certain event. And I give my business card like, listen, you know, this is what, what, what I do. But also consider that I could do a one-on-one session for, you know, publicity and for, for public, you know, for, for your website. And that's how I do it, you know, other, other times. Um, and, and I've built these relationships over, over the years. And I have maybe six agents that I work with. And all of a sudden, you know, like I did Mario Lopez. And that was through an established relationship I have with one specific agent. After the years, he said, hey, Hernan, you know what? We just picked up Mario Lopez. He's doing a commercial line. He's got this athletic wear. You're the guy that's going to fit the job for us. There's no agent involved. There's no manager. There's no publicist. It's the person. It becomes a mutual respected relationship, you know? And that's why it's so important for you to be 
respectful of people, their time, your deadlines, you know, the work you do, you got to value, mm-hmm. you're, you got to, there's so much value in this, both mutual for the agent and for you. And then it's, it's taken off from there. So you're, you're absolutely right. If, if I was working with Eddie Griffin, because again, Eddie Griffin was a call that I did to an agent who referred me, then all of a sudden I had Eddie Griffin. I shot with him one time. And, you know, when I shoot with one person, again, first impressions, I have, I make sure there's refreshments. I'm sure that they're, they're comfortable. You know, we got a wardrobe stylist. I got my best makeup artist. They, their experience is so good that, you know, they're going to call me because there's nothing that they could say. Like we had, you know, Hernan, Hernan treated us bad. You know, his, his, his craft wasn't any good. He, you know, everything is, is really on point. And now I photographed them right before the, uh, the shutdown, the coronavirus shutdown. Eddie Griffin called me to shoot a billboard in Las Vegas, you know, so we shot this, this billboard for some of the stuff he's doing there. But again, it started just a one-on-one. I don't know. You're absolutely right. I don't know where these images will end up. It ends up in a magazine. It ends up in the cover. Like I shot Floyd May- Mayweather. It ended up in a cover of a magazine. I'll get a call from Sports Illustrated. Can we, can we use your image of, of Mike Tyson? Uh, you know, it's not editorial work that I'm doing. It's not, you know, commercial work that I'm doing. It's not a specific work. I'm mm-hmm. shooting an individual. And the end result of that shot could be just anywhere. So how do you work it out in terms of usage? Is it a buyout? Do you provide them an unlimited license? How, how do you sort of work that out with, all, with a variety of different clients that you have? Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the time it's for a specific job. And they'll say, okay, we're hiring you to shoot, uh, you know, like I just shot Reggie Miller, you know, the NBA Hall of Famer three days ago. Now that was specific for a brand, you know, like a, like a, an apparel company, you know, he's doing something for, you know, Black Lives Matter. I had to sign a non-disclosure. It was like Hernan, it's a buyout rate, you know, we just mm-hmm. want a select images just for this line. Now, sometimes a, a buyout is kind of interesting because he, what he said was we, we, we want to own the images. But it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's non-exclusive or inclusive to you or just exclusive to them. Sometimes it's the only images, but you also as a photographer own the rights to their, your images. It's different than a complete buyout when somebody comes in and that's, you know, you're going to make three times the amount of, of an image than you would for, for give me the hard drive and let me take all the images. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, if you want full access and I don't, then you have to pay for that rate opposed to, you know, we shot the magazine. I shot, you know, for this specific job, we shot like almost 4,000 images. We had four cameras going. Oh my. It was crazy. It was the most challenging photo shoot I've done in my entire career because we're shooting outdoors. We're shooting action. We're shooting lifestyle, you know, action because they want to look like they're at a place riding bikes. This is what it was. Very contrasty light. You know, we've got to make sure that the images are sharp without keeping the background sharp. So technically, there was a lot going on for this photo shoot. We had to create lifestyle portraits like in the Santa, Santa Monica Mountains. That was a different camera. And they gave us only two hours to do all this. You know, at the end of the day, uh, there were beautiful images. Everybody was happy. But now I have an archive with 4,000 images that I, I'm going to use. Everybody, everybody, I, I got paid for the job. In a job like that, I got, I got hired for a day rate, you know. I'll set a day rate, you know. My day rate for this will be whatever it is, $3,500 for, you know, the, the two hours that they got, the three hours that they got. And in that time, 
you get the images, you get the final product, which are 12 retouched images. Now, somebody hires you, you know, seven hour a day, it's different because you're bringing in a team, you bring in makeup artists, you bring in, you know, so all that is all over the place, you know, when it comes to, to kind of mapping out what your fees are going to be, who the rights, who owns the rights. But I think because I'm working on that one-on-one with an agent or a manager, mm-hmm. it becomes almost, I hate to put it this way because there's a lot of uh, contracts that you know people have to kind of negotiate and say who owns the rights, who owns this, or what are you going to do with the rights. But it becomes through a stream of emails, and this is how I protect myself, and through a stream of emails, the gentleman's agreement almost. An agent will say, Hernan, we need this, and this is what the client said. You know, We need this, and at the end of the day, we want 12 finalized images, and we own the, the rights to this. So that's the contract because I'm going back and I'm agreeing to say, okay, under under the stipulations put here by by you and your your company, we will provide the 12 images. We will also have access to be able to use our images for for marketing purposes, for website, for you know whatever it is. So it becomes that kind of that gentleman's agreement, opposed to say for instance, and this is a perfect example. You know when I when I photograph Mike Tyson again. This gentleman would not would not sign a contract. You know, it took a lo- it took three months to get these two guys on stage to take a photo because his manager was involved and his agent wanted to know where the rights, who the, owned the rights for the image, and such and such and such, and who their agent talks to. You know, Evander Holyfield's agent and, and everything. You know, once you put that language on paper and say, you know, I need for you to sign here where Hernan Photography owns all the rights to the images. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they walk away. You know, they'll say, we, we won't grant that. They want exclusive rights. So I've been smart about it to kind of protect myself on those emails in the stream. We're saying, you know, in under the, 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 the context of this conversation through via email, I start writing out the language. It's almost like a soft contract. Once they say and they confirm in an email saying, you know, okay, we do agree. We want to use Mike Tyson's image. Uh, and they did. You know, this is the agreement. They wanted to use this image for a book, one of his books. But then again, under that agreement, I said, I also have access, mutual access to be able to use, you know, his persona for marketing myself and for my, and we, you know, we, mm-hmm. it's 50-50. So that was the agreement we had. So, but sometimes you have to put it on paper, signed by everybody else. And, and that's just the way it goes. Do you sometimes work with a producer? I have sometimes. Actually, in a couple of the movies that I've done or, you know, I've worked, like you mean like a, a still photographer, you're saying? or Yeah, still or photographer, like, uh, producer, yeah. Who sort of coordinates, negotiates the contracts and, you know, puts everything on paper and does all that sort of negotiation for you, leaving you it's to... It's great. I mean, it's great. When that happens, that's their specialty. You know, and there's a couple of agents, maybe two two agents that I know that work that way. It's all in writing, and they're they're powerhouse agents. They're well respected. You know, when when they say jump, people how high. You know, so I love it because they come in with that business approach and write everything out and say, you know, you're going to get hired. Hernan's going to supply this for you. He's the man. You know, and his team, and we have access. These are the names that are going to be allowed in the set. These are his people, and they do the negotiation. That's all resolved and all I have to do is show up. So, you know, that's a good point. You know, when you have that streamline in the process of the negotiation, it makes your job as a photographer so much easier because sometimes we have to wear multiple hats. And I think what happens now as a photographer, because I think they're making us indispensable. We're like, oh, everybody's a photographer. You know, this person's 
you know, if you're charging, you know, your, your half day is $3,500, this person does the job for $1,000. Well, you're going to get the $1,000 rate. That's what you're paying for. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's what makes, that's what satisfies you then, you know, that's it. But understand, you know, I come, this is the rate and the reason why I come with this. You know, it isn't, we come on point, every, ca- every image you're going to pull out. And we just did this again with Reggie. We had to go straight from this live to a website in Italy. No time to retouch. So these images were going straight live. So if you're not on point with your, your exposure and, and everything, you know, so that's what happens, you know, and I think this is why you're, you're paying me because every image, and they were, they were impressed. They're like, wow, you know, we didn't know we could use these straight out of camera. It, it looks like they're retouched, but that's your job. So, you know, you're going to base your rate. And I think when I started out, it, I didn't start there. I, it was incremental. You know, I started out, you know, 750 I started, seven, you know, for $750, I could do this for you. I'll give you, you know, six hours or whatever. Then it went up to $1,200, you know, and I have people, advisors, you know, I, I had mentors along the process, you know, one of the, a big Hollywood photographer here, when I kind of starting in this, this, this trajectory of, a, you know, celebrity work, he's like, Hernan, like, you're not, you shouldn't leave your house under $1,500. That's your base rate. And then I started kind of building up, you know, he said, you'll know where, when to stop. And, you know, then I know this is where, where I am now. You know, this is my rate now because you're also, you, you need to be competitive, you know, because you can't train everybody saying, this is why you're paying this. They just look at your work. Everybody's shopping around. Everybody look at all these photographers and these are the five guys we want and this is their rate, you know, what's within our budget. So, you know, it's, 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 it's there as a, photo- and, you know, our industry's going that way. Everybody, well, everybody's a photographer, you know, pick up a camera, but they see that they got garbage, you know, their work yeah. isn't on point. So your work, for instance, if somebody charges, you know, you go in and say, you know, I want you to do a wall portrait and, 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 you know, you're charging them. You could charge them. I don't know. I could see you charging them $5,000 for, for a Rembrandt, you know, that's your rate. I'm going to go in and you're, you're, you're charging, I'm paying you, you're paying me this much money for a 24 by 36 finalized on a piece of canvas with a nice frame for your house. And I, I could see it because, okay, let me look at your work. Yeah. That's what I expect. You know, opposed, and if you say, well, you know, I'll do it for $1,200, they'll be ecstatic, you know. They'll pay the $1,200 or they'll pay the, the $5,000. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, they love your work. They want you because of your body of work. That's what they're hiring. The, the rest of the parts, you know, you could kind of, you know, move around a little bit. Or you could kind of, you know, give or take. But I think there should be a place that you should you should always value yourself as a photographer. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Um, you know, it's so funny because one of the photographers that I very much admire is Horst and Horst. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. He was a uh, came from a graphic design background. The guy was was kind of uh, he was neurotic, you know. His work was like never enough. He kept on pursuing. As a matter of fact, I could show you a book because I leave it here on my coffee table every so often. And you're talking about years ago. Sometimes I research photographers from 1890 and I look at their work, and their work is so relevant today. You know, I, I, I create thumbnails for myself, and I'm like, wow, this somebody will point out this is beautiful. I mean, it could be a cover of a Vogue magazine, and that was shot in 1890 by some 
photographer, an unknown photographer. And I love doing that research. But uh, Horst and Horst had this, you know, just the boldness of his images, the backlighting, you know, he created a lot of silhouettes. You know, he would put this exposed for this bright white background and it underexposed the subject and it, it created this mystery. But then he, when he went to his lifestyle stuff, you know, he could, he, and he wasn't just like really like a niche photographer. He had a pretty vast, you know, body of work, but I just think just looking at it and studying his work and seeing what he did and why he did certain things. But there's always that undertone of, of graphic design. You know, you're looking at his work and you're looking at graphic yeah. images and you see where that came from. So I think a lot, a lot of people could learn just from, from studying comp- his composition and, and, and contrast in his work. That's a great recommendation. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed this. Barrio next, man. You're the man. Thanks to Hernan for joining us. Find out more about him and his work by visiting hernanphotography.com. If you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. Thanks to Serum Tap from the UK for his five-star review. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or reoccurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to David Colby, Eyes of Mania, A. Grissom, Richard Bootwell, and Martin Stepka for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.